2: That's
0: BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash stuff.
1: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored. Like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
2: Hey, everybody. Chuck here. I saw a UFO last night. Actually, that's not true. But it would be a great story if I were setting up this episode for March 1st, 2012, How SETI Works, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Don't get it confused. Oh, no. What is that? (laughs) What was that? That was my imperson- don't, impersonation don't that of, that was E.T. Of, of Burgess Meredith. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. That was pretty good. Thanks. That was a good Burgess Meredith, Chuck. Yeah. You in the mood for alien talk? Sure. This
2: is the second time we've done something like this. Almost a year
1: later. Yeah. Right at it. We did uh, How UFOs Work live in Austin. Yeah. Last yeah. March. So, yeah. I guess once a year. We do aliens. We'll talk stuff. aliens. Yeah. Um. But Hey, before we get started, may I take a second? Yeah. I want to just say a special hi to my wife, Yumi. Right. Who made me the happiest guy in the world. You should just call her, dude. On February 13th. (laughs) Yeah, I could just call her on February 13th when uh, we got married. Indeed. Yeah. Any deets or are you just going to... No, that's all. All right. I was just uh, wanting to share my happiness with everybody out there. Very well done. Thank you very much. Hey, Yumi. So, let's get back to aliens, okay? Yes. Okay. So, we are doing this in honor of Are We Alone Month on Science Channel, right? Yes. So, the month of March is Are We Alone Month, and Science Channel, every uh, Tuesday, I believe, at 10, is having a premiere of um, some new show that has something to do with the search for extraterrestrial life. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, it's going to be very cool. And, I mean, there's some... Like all shows are going to be awesome, sure. But there's some that are clearly going to be really awesome, like mm-hmm. through the wormhole with Morgan Freeman. With Morgan Freeman, I mean that in the context of an "Are We Alone?" month, yeah, it's big news. Also, um, uh, the uh, alien encounters with Nick Sagan got to be related to Carl, got right? To be. Carl Pilkington, yes, yes. Uh, and then, if you're in the mood for a contest, what would a month be without one? There is a uh, SETI live contest where the prize is to go visit SETI. No way. Go
2: to the California, to the Institute? Yes. Wow. Pretty sweet. Yes.
1: So this is all going on on Science Channel all month long, and if you want more details, watch Science Channel, pal. Yeah, or hit them up on Facebook. I bet they have info there. Yeah. And in honor of this month, this very special month, we are doing How SETI Works, which... Is an acronym, SETI, if you don't know, for um, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yes, and I joked before
2: we did this that Are We Alone Month will be followed by Yes, We're Alone Day. Sort
1: of a joke, but they haven't really found a lot of stuff yet. Well, I don't know. Let me me give you an example of something. The wow. Have you heard of the wow signal? Yeah, we talked about this before. We did. When? I think it might have been one of the webcasts. Okay. It,
2: It definitely rang a bell that had your stank on it. No,
1: we talked about the um, Yosemite-Sam signal. Oh, I know. But I think we talked about Wow a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Well, the old webcast. Let me tell you again. Let me refresh your memory, because you clearly don't remember. Clearly. Uh, August 15th, 1977, a guy who's now known as Dr. Jerry Ehrman, E-H-M-A-N. Okay. I keep wanting to call him Ehrman. Yeah. He, uh, he was manning the Big Ear radio telescope at Ohio State University, um, and was analyzing some data from it and, and basically saw this is what it looks like. It's a it's a bunch of numbers and letters. It looks like the matrix scroll. Very much so. Captured. Yes. Um, but what that is is a uh, burst of radio activity uh-huh. uh, transmitted on the 1420.456 megahertz frequency for 72 seconds. W-A-L-N. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, and it, it was basically the closest thing we've ever gotten to hard evidence of a radio transmission from an alien civilization. Right. It met, like, all of the criteria that SETI follows, which we'll talk about later, um, for um, radio transmissions from intelligent life, right? Yeah. Um, the problem is, is after searching for it for, like, 50 times specifically, it's never been found again. Right. And the reason it's called the "Wow um transmission is because Jerry Amon um circled it and wrote "Wow" with an exclamation point <laughs> right. and that's that's why it's called that so although it it since that time nothing else has come up in that same area, and we haven't had anything even remotely close to it, SETI still continues, right? Yeah, and SETI is both a uh, a movement and a group of people. It's an institute.
2: Yeah, well, there's the SETI Institute, and there's just independent
1: SETI operations. Yeah. I mean, you can use SETI as a... Uh, would that be an, It'd be would a that noun, because it is a search. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Just a, a funky noun. Right. But let's talk about it, Chuck. Let's talk about SETI,
2: the challenges it has. Uh, well, first of all, if you've seen the movie Contact... I have. Apparently, it's not too inaccurate. From the writer of this article, who was... Uh, Freudian like, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He said that that movie, if you want to watch that one, is, is fairly accurate and on track.
1: Well, it was based on a book written by Carl Sagan, and he definitely knew his stuff.
2: Yeah. He in was... fact, the Sagan Institute is one of the parts of SETI Institute. Oh, very nice. Yeah, Or the, the Sagan Research Center, I think. Gotcha. So go ahead. You were saying?
1: Oh, well, <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about the origin of it. Um, SETI came about in a time when there was a large intellectual push toward searching for alien life. A lot of very, very smart people suddenly started postulating that there's probably other people out there. Yeah, there's got to be. Two guys, um, Philip Morrison and Giuseppe Coccioni wrote a Giuseppe pa- Coccioni? Yeah, I wrote know. A, wrote a paper in Nature in 1959, and they basically said, "Look." If we look, we may very well not find anything. Right. But if we don't look, we're definitely not going to find anything. <laughs> That's a good point. And that came at a time when a guy named Frank Drake, an uh-huh. astrophysicist, uh, an astronomer, was um, trying to start his own search. And he eventually founded SETI, I think in 1960. Founded the SETI Institute or just SETI? SETI. He, well, he conducted the first SETI
2: search. Okay. the Drake did.
1: Yeah, Frank Drake did. Gotcha. And it was based on something called the Drake equation, which I find just utterly fascinating and refreshingly understandable as uh, far as like, uh, theoretical math equations go.
2: Yeah. N, N is the number of civilizations in the Milky Way. Whose electromagnetic emissions are detectable. So N equals R uh, times Fp times Ne times Fl times Fi times Fc times L.
1: And then there's the R is the rate of formation of stars over the lifetime of the galaxy. And that's anywhere from like 10 to 40 a year. Yeah, stars suitable for development of intelligent life. So right. that narrows it down. Um, then there's the fraction of those stars with planets. Fp. Then there's the average number of those planets that are Earth-type, meaning suitable for life as we understand it. Yeah, that's the NE. That's about 50% of the 50% of stars with planets. Boy, so that, they we're starting to yeah. whittle down pretty quickly. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the fraction of those planets where life develops. That's estimated at, and, at as much as 100%. Yeah. And then there's the fraction of life that develops intelligence. So it's not just enough to be an amoeba. You have to be... An amoeba capable of creating a radio. Right. Um, that's pretty low as well, um, about 10%. Um, and then another 10% is the fraction of planets where intelligent life develops technology, such as radio. Yeah. That's okay. See? So you've got life. And then L. Intelligent life and then technology. Yeah. And then you have the lifetime of that communicative civilization in years. So, boom. Multiply that on out. You got your Drake equation. And you have as little as one, as much as billions. Well, plus it's
2: it's as little as one or billions because it, you know, those are, it depends on what value you put in there and everyone's going to put in different values. So the Drake equation is going to have a wide swath.
1: Yes. Makes sense. Yeah. Um so you've got this. This is the framework, the the Drake Equation created by Frank Drake, the founder of SETI. This is the the framework that SETI conducts its research with. Like one of the things they do is try to figure out exactly how many stars out there have planets with that are suitable for life. Um, to really kind of plug in the best possible data into the Drake Equation and to help them figure out where to look, because. There's three main challenges for SETI that they face just as a concept and an organization. Yeah. And they are, um, you have a really big sky out there, right? Yeah. You have a lot of frequencies that, could, that could uh, you have a lot of radio frequencies. And um, you have a limited amount of telescopes. Not much equipment. No. Because it's very expensive. Exactly. And while
2: SETI is funded to a large degree, it's not funded to a large degree compared to, like, like when it was part of NASA, mm-hmm. I think it was only, like, 1% of their budget. Even still, that was, like, the most money SETI's ever had. Yeah. But they're, they're pretty well funded. The SETI Institute is, so, as far as private funding goes. They're doing okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're a nonprofit, obviously, so they're not getting rich. You know what I mean?
1: No, they're, they're kind of hurting right now. Oh are they? Uh-huh. Oh, I thought they were doing all right. No. Uh, the they also received federal funds, and that's all but dried up right now because of the economic downturn. Yeah, SETI's the first
2: to go, isn't it? Yeah. Uh all right. So you proposed the three problems. Um here are a couple of approaches for the large sky problem. A lot of area out there. So they they have two approaches there. The wide field search, basically casting a wide, non specific net over uh you know a low resolution over a long period i'm sorry a short period of time over a wide area could get you some nibbles mm-hmm. if you were fishing let's say, but it's going to be difficult to find out exactly like where this stuff is coming from right uh, or a targeted search, which is what my money would be on, which are uh, limited to sun like stars like they basically factor in more of drake 's equation in this one say let 's look at places where we might find uh you know target these things where we
1: might find ETs right um and they do both of those depending they have various projects going on ongoing um and some are targeted. Some are wide field search. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of covering their bases as much as possible. Um, the next challenge was, you know, what frequency to, to listen for, to listen to, you know? like yeah, if It's you, not a radio dial. No. But even, even with a radio dial, even with like a walkie-talkie, like if you've ever used one of those. like oh, yeah. If you're not on the right frequency, you are going to miss everything that's being told sure. to you. So <clears throat> there's... Like you said, it's not a radio dial. It doesn't go from, like, 88.5 all the way to 107.5. There are billions. From alternative to country. Exactly. Um, There are billions of radio frequencies. And they, um, I mean, which one are you going to listen to? You you can listen to them all, but, again, you're cycling through them. uh, You're not able to spend a lot of time. It's much like the, the same dilemma with the sky you have with the radio frequencies. Plus they're full of noise. Yep, that's another problem, too. A big problem. Natural occurring stuff. Right. Um, But there is a window in the radio frequency that's called the water hole, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, It's a natural place in the radio frequency spectrum. Um, And, by the way, radio is, they're light waves. Yeah. It's a type of of light wave, Um, but they're very specific. They exist on a specific frequency. But um, in this, this spectrum, the band there's this thing called the water hole, um, which goes from the one to 10 gigahertz range. Yes. And it has very little um, n- natural background noise. Yeah. Like very few things you know, broadcast in this frequency. And the reason being um, they, the, these frequencies are caused by hydrogen atoms and hydroxyl ions, mm-hmm. both of which are constituents of water, which is why it's called the water hole. And they suspect that for a couple of reasons, alien civilizations would be aware of this. One, that it's just so profoundly unique in the radio spectrum that if you had any kind of awareness of the radio spectrum, you would stumble upon this. Yeah,
2: and that you would intentionally broadcast in a low noise frequency. Exactly. Because you want to be heard.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, anybody who broadcasts on the radio wants to be heard, right? Sure. Um, and then the other reason they think that alien civilizations would know about it is because water with which it's associated, um, is considered a um, an essential to life and therefore universal among intelligent life. It's not geocentric, the concept of water, is right. It? So aliens would be familiar with water and would thus be familiar with the water hole in the frequency spectrum as well. So they, this is probably where they're putting most of their research or their effort into this water hole band of frequencies.
2: Yeah, I mean, they search all over, but pretty much all SETI operations will search the waterhole yeah.
1: as, as part of their prob- as part of their ops then there's magical frequencies too like, basically, they're saying, like, we're on this band of billions of frequencies. Is, is there some sort of universal pattern? And one of the things that they figured out is prime numbers might be a good place to look. Because oh yeah? prime numbers are part of math, and they're a universal constant. Right. So an advanced civilization might be aware of prime numbers, and if they're trying to communicate to another advanced civilization, they may be broadcasting on prime number channels. Crazy. That's a magical frequency. I wonder if they've searched Pi, the Pi station. So, so far we've got, two, <laughs> we've got two of the big problems tackled. Yes. Generally. The third one is the most down-to-earth problem. Yeah, no,
2: no equipment, basically. These uh, radio telescopes are expensive to build, and so there's not a whole lot of them. So they said, you know, there's a few ways we can handle this. We can uh, conduct limited runs on ones that are already out there, basically rent space from other dudes. Uh, we can conduct analysis of data already, already uh, acquired by other dudes. So, like, hey, you've been listening in on all these frequencies. Let us see your data and we'll just work from that. Or we can build SETI dedicated radio telescopes, which right. is clearly the least uh, popular because it's so expensive. Right. I mean, Absolutely. it's the
1: most popular, but least feasible. Yeah. And like the, um, like the, the, projects that they have ongoing for wide target search um, or wide field search or targeted search yeah. they have different projects dedicated to different types of radio use like um, Project Phoenix uh, rents time at some of the better uh, radio telescopes around the world. Australia? Uh, Arecibo? Yeah, in Puerto Rico? Uh-huh. Uh, the one in uh, West Virginia, Green Bank West Virginia has a huge radio telescope and that's where the first SETI conference was held. Oh, really? 1960, I believe, huh. yeah. Um, and then there's the Serendip Project, <laughs> which uh, piggybacks. That cracks me up for some reason. Why? Serendip,
2: I don't know. Just because it's short for serendipity. It sounds like your friend Adam that shortens everything. Oh, yeah. Like he would say, yeah, we met up. It was a bit of serendip. Yeah,
1: he would say that it's totes serendip. Totes serendip. Um, yeah, the, so they, they piggyback by basically saying like, hey, like you said, let me see your dad, and once you're done with it, we want to go over it too.
2: Yeah. It's and like,
1: it, hey, man. It's like the hippie Rob version of, yeah, exactly of astronomy. <laughs> Boy, he hadn't made an appearance in a while. He just did. I didn't
2: expect him to pop up in SETI <laughs> if he didn't pop up in Magic Mushrooms, you know? Uh, so Project Serendip, like you said, it takes, um, takes advantage of a lot of telescope time, but they don't have the control to say, Hey, point it over there. Right. So they have a lot of
1: hours, but they're just basically, that's the wide search yep. being cast. And then you said like the most desirable one was having their own telescope. Well, yeah, that'd be great. SETI S- 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 figured out something rather than making a huge or paying for a huge radio telescope, Um, they figured out that they can take a bunch of backyard satellite dishes, which I'm sure are really easy to come by these days. Yeah. Um, You know, the kind like from the 80s? Oh, yeah. Put a bunch of those together. They're like eight feet wide? Right. Yeah. You put a bunch of those together and connect their signals using a process called interferometry. Nice. Thank you. Dude, well done. First try. And uh, you can basically simulate a huge, large telescope for a fraction of the cost.
2: Yeah, it's like linking a network of computers, which um, is actually something also being done. We might as well get into that. Yeah, The SETI at symbol, at home project. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's actually the SETI Institute, isn't it? Yeah. So they decided that, hey, instead of building a couple of supercomputers to analyze this data, because that's one of the big problems is there's so much data. It's not like you can just plug it into your laptop. Right. But you can plug a tiny chunk into a laptop and network a bunch of laptops together to do the power of these supercomputers, and that is what they've done, and you can participate.
1: Yeah, it's pretty ingenious. Um, and there's uh, there's other things that... I think SETI at Home started it, and now there's things like Folding at Home, oh, really? which you um, simulate protein folding for cancer research, same thing. Huh. Um, and I'm sure there's other ones that I didn't get a chance to look, but SETI at Home started it where you it's a screensaver um but it's also a program and while it's running it's it downloads a chunk of um data from the Arecibo radio telescope yeah and that's like your little assignment and it's like a 100 second chunk maybe something like that it doesn't seem like much but it takes like 10 to 20 hours for the normal right. um computer to process it but like you said if it's if you have thousands of computers doing this you have a thousand times the processing power all of a sudden for free pretty cool uh and while your computer's analyzing it it's making notes of all this stuff using SETI's algorithms yeah and then it uploads the results to SETI and then downloads another chunk for uh, analysis
2: and dude I bet this is a very popular thing to do for stargazers
1: Oh, yeah. For stargazing nerds of the world. There was a guy I remember um, who was in Arizona, I think, and he uh, was fired from his job as like the IT head for the Department of Education in this one community um, because he he booted SETI at home onto all the computers without asking. But, I mean, it's not a big deal. It doesn't take that much processing power, and it just kind of runs in the background. Yeah, who cares? Um, well, he was made a mockery of by the local news. Like, the, he was fired because of his search for aliens. And, and right. They made that. him out to be some crackpot. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But, um, yeah, some poor guy got fired for that. SETI at home got him fired. I said, I bet he got a
2: job with SETI or something, though. I'm, I don't bet that. You don't think so? <laughs> they just said, sorry. Thanks anyway. Pretty much. Um,. Well, you talked about building your own, and the Alien Telescope Array, I'm sorry, <laughs> the Allen Telescope Array.
1: Yeah, I kept taking it like that until I found out it's named after Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, is it? who donated all of the money for it. Well, that is uh,
2: still underway um, as far as its construction. I think they they were down for a little while because of a lack of funding, and uh, it's a $26 million deal, but I think as of uh, 2011, they were up and running again, and Part of it is complete to the extent, I think, where they can use it for, for things. Right. But they're still not finished with it, I don't
1: think. No, they're not. They they have enough money to construct it, but they didn't have enough money to run it. So they have like a skeleton crew on it right now. Gotcha. But it is operational, I think. It is. Um, they're hoping that they're, they're going to be able to fund it by um, leasing some time on it to the Air Force, who is interested in using it. Huh. They so. should try a bake sale. I don't know. You know? You know, it'll be a great day when schools have all the funding they need and the Air Force has to hold a bake sale to buy a stealth bomber. (laughs) That'll be the day. Somebody should put that on like a bumper sticker or something. We could
2: shorten it, but yeah. Agreed. Uh, Should we
1: mention the Fermi Paradox? Yeah, this is as good a time as any. I mean, one of the things that happens to SETI is that they're constantly pummeled by critics and a lot of them cite the Fermi Paradox too. Well, here's what SETI Institute says because
2: I, I dug into their FAQ a little bit. On, and one of the questions was, why do we think that there might be life out there? Quote, And SETI said, uh, you should keep in mind that th- we are one planet around a very ordinary star, and there are roughly 400 billion other stars and nearly 100 billion other galaxies. And they think it would be extraordinary if we were the only thinking beings in all these enormous realms. Fermi, Enrico, Fermi, said that uh, if it takes life billions of years to develop intelligence and signal or travel to the stars, and there are billions of the worlds in the universe, and the universe is 13 billion years old plus, then why haven't we been visited yet?
1: Yeah, when you look at it like that, the odds are... Makes sense. They they just increase exponentially. It's kind of like a perverted version of the Drake equation used to disprove the existence of life. The anti-Drake? Yeah, interesting Interesting. anti Drake. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you.
2: That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
1: You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that. It's taking long walks together in the summer or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard.
2: Well, the pedigree brand asked about believing and love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, As everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members. And we think they've appreciated it, too.
1: Yeah, Chuck, there is a pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90% of first-time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships, and 80% of first-time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95% of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise.
2: That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet
1: parent. You got that straight.
2: Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter.
1: Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive from June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide.
2: That's right. So just visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. So, what happens if we get a signal? What happens if they're sitting around one day and
1: they hear "phone home" come over the radio waves? Uh, well, they have a, a a strict set of protocols that start with, you know, the first person who finds it to the um, the you know who gets told first. What yeah? What agencies learn of it? And um, it's pretty cool. Uh, apparently, contact follows the course of it pretty pretty. Um, Accurately. Yeah. But so a signal's detected, right? And the first thing they do is they move the radio telescope away from the signal. And then they move it back. I bet that's nerve wracking. I'll bet too. Because you probably just want to stay locked on it, you know. Right. You're gonna lose your signal. But you can't do that
2: because you gotta prove that it's genuinely coming from there.
1: Right. Um so if you move it and then move it back and the signal wanes and then comes back, you know that you have an extraterrestrial signal. Right. It's a big one. The next step, then, is to figure out whether you're getting it from, like, a satellite or sure. from elsewhere on Earth. Right. Right? Uh, after that, you're starting to shake. Your palms are sweaty. Yeah. Um, and you start to rule out extraterrestrial sources like pulsars, quasars, other things that um, broadcast radio frequencies. By this time, you may have tinkled a little bit in your pants. <laughs> um And you are on the phone with another radio telescope, hopefully one on another continent, saying, hey, can you go check these coordinates and see if you're getting this frequency? Point your little machine that way. What do you see or hear? And if they come back and say, yep, you say, well, it's time to announce it to the world.
2: Now i got to get out my book, the SETI Institute, The Declaration of Principles Concerning Activities Following the Detection of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yeah. And SETI Institute says... No one's keeping anything a secret.
1: No, they want it disseminated quickly and widely. Yeah. But they want you to follow the proper channels first. And all the astronomical community gets first dibs on learning of it. Oh, sure. Then after that, you go to the um, UN. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. The UN, a lot of other international bodies. And you say, hey, guys, we have confirmed extraterrestrial contact. And um, they say, Awesome. And the <laughs> astronomer goes along and says, okay, we're moving on to the next people. Eventually you get to the public and the person who discovered it um, is meant to have the honor of announcing it to the world. Yes. According to the protocols. Jody Foster.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and SETI is on record, by the way. The SETI Institute is saying that they don't think that there are aliens that we've been hiding in Roswell, New Mexico. They said that, you know... The presence, that would be like the biggest discovery in the history of science. And A, you wouldn't want to keep it a secret. And B, there would be thousands and thousands of people working on it. And they said it would just be impossible. Hmm. So they're not, you know, they're not these crackpots that think, oh, we've got aliens hidden away working on a farm in the desert of New Mexico, harvesting on water farms.
1: And that's where we got our microwaves from. Exactly. Uh,
2: And I also looked at their FAQ under the, uh, are we sending signals? Because I thought that was kind of interesting because obviously Close Encounters, they sent messages out. And they said they are a completely passive experiment. They're only looking. They are not sending. However, we have been sending signals uh, unintentionally for 50 years or more.
1: Yeah, since the 30s, since we started broadcasting on the radio.
2: Yeah, in television, uh, this is the early TV broadcast reached out about, uh, to about 1,000 nearby stars. And, uh, but they said it's very unlikely that any, any alien civilization could have picked up on that.
1: No, But we are in- inadvertently broadcasting. Probably yes. in the water hole, too, I would think.
2: And the other reason we don't send out signals is because if the nearest civilization they said is 100 light years away, it would be 200 years to get a reply, and it's just not a very good way to spend your time.
1: Well, plus also it's in the protocols that um, we decide through like the UN and other international bodies whether or not to respond to a signal. Right. That's like one of the last steps.
2: Well, they said that we've sent um, symbolic messages before. Like, hey, here is what our solar system is like. Here are the compounds important for life. Here's the structure of our DNA in the form of a human. They say it's symbolic, but I think they're like, oh, you never know. Right. You know? So they're liars then when they say they're passive.
1: Well, they are passive. They have done that in the past. They said it was like the 70s. They're passive... As far as astronomy goes, active as far as lying on their FAQ goes.
2: <laughs> no, they, they, I think it was 1974 was the last time they sent out a message.
1: Well, you, there was, what, the Viking or some, I can't remember the spaceship we sent into orbit or into outer space that had, like, um, gold records containing all sorts of information, like the world's great information and knowledge on them. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Sort of. Viking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, think it was, was Viking. Right. We'd we'll probably got cool. that wrong there. <laughs> so uh what's in the future for SETI right now uh
2: well, the future with the the programs like SETI at home could uh get more people active and if they're interested in their home. The future could be good there. they said they might be um, sending or looking for light at some point because it may not
1: come via radio, it may come via light uh. You know, you never know. Yeah. Frank Drake is all about that one. Now he says that this is like the hot new field for SETI is optical um, astronomy.
2: Oh, yeah? Uh-huh. And of course, finishing up things like the Allen Telescope Array is, yeah. is important.
1: And then there's SETI at home. I mean, if you want to go do that, it's pretty easy to go download. Um Agreed. I had folding at home. I've never had SETI at home. Oh, you did folding? Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, and then my computer crashed, and I was just like, meh.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> maybe that crashed it.
1: I don't know. Maybe. I could tell a difference when it was processing. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's SETI. So if this kind of piqued your interest, there's plenty more information out there. Um, you can also check out SETI's stuff on Science Channel um, during Are We Alone Month in March. Premieres come on, I think, Tuesdays at 10, starting March 6th. Every Tuesday? Yep. Like, Moonlighting? Mm-hmm. Um, was it was that on Tuesday? I think so. I seem to remember being
2: drawn to the television on Tuesdays. I think mm-hmm. it was Moonlighting and A-Team. Nice. Or was it Moonlighting and Love
1: Boat? No, it was Love Boat Fantasy Island. Yeah, yeah. Those two are definitely together. Yeah. Let's see, recapping. What else was at the beginning? I'm married. Yeah. You, me, and I are married. Um... And I guess that's it. If you want to read SETI, you can type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, S-E-T-I. And that will bring up this very nice article, including cool graphs and screenshots from SETI at home for some reason. Um, And since I said search bar, I think I said handy search bar even, um, it's time for listener mail. All right,
2: Josh, I'm going to call this uh, Lucha Libra slash American Wrestling from Zach. That was a good one. Uh, Chuck, you suggested that wrestlers carry fake blood packs. Uh, not quite true, or at least usually not true. Instead, most wrestlers carry a razor blade in order to blade their foreheads. I've heard this, actually. I knew that. Mm-hmm. They'll cut, make a little cut and bleed. Uh, right around their hairline after being hit in the head with a chair or a cage or another hard weapon. Uh, you were also talking about the big companies in America. The WWE is the biggest right now, with TNA as the second biggest, and Ring of Honor is the third. Uh, WWE and TNA are on big TV networks, while the Ring of Honor is only on the air in certain markets. And there are many, many independent leagues, including Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan's Resistance Pro. Did you know that? No. I guess so, dude. He's got his own wrestling league. I wonder if he's still on the dope. I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, I saw him one day. He's really tall. Yeah? Which surprised me for some reason.
1: I think I noticed that when the Cubs were in the World Series and he sang the, uh, the National Anthem. Or no, he sang the uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. It's oh, really? The inning stretch, yeah. He's he taller tall, than all those guys. Yeah. Uh,
2: so Zach says, when talking about the rules, you're saying that uh, weapons are not allowed. And I think I might have said that this is different with American uh, wrestling, but not true, he said. The chair was just really popular in the late 90s because they booked matches specifically to be more violent. So they would knock the ref down, and people would use the chair when the ref wasn't watching, but you would still get DQ'd if the ref was to see that. And he also said Ray... You Mis- would get Dairy queen <laughs> Oh, man, that'd be great. Uh, and then he said Ray Mysterio mm-hmm. is uh, out with injury, but there's a good chance he will be back soon. So he's still kicking it. That was a heck of a dispatch from the wrestling world. Yeah, and dude, I redacted about half of it. Thanks, Zach. That is Zach from uh, i don't know where he's from he's from billy
1: corgan's basement <laughs> well uh wow if you have some supplementary information not even necessarily correction i think zach handled that very well sure um we like to hear that stuff all the time and we frequently read them as listener mail so please feel free to go ahead and send us something um you can tweet to us at sysk you can send us uh, a uh, note or a message on Facebook at facebook.com slash Or you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com.
0: Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts myHeartRadio, Radio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
2: 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit visible.com. The visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
1: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at com. Hey,
2: everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work, sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start to designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Just go to canva, c a n v a.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals.